these are exciting days in the life of this church. I think they are some of the greatest days that we've ever had, preparing us for even greater days that we're going to have. As I've thought over the last uh, months about this and about where we are, uh, soon toward the end of this year, you'll start hearing about our 50th anniversary. We will have been a church 50 years next year. And you know, when this church started, Nobody would have given it much of a chance. It was a dirt road, pine trees, and not much happening. There were no restaurants. There was no mall. There was no blockbuster. There was nothing. Just a vision by a handful of people. And today we sit here and we enjoy every ministry that this church offers because somebody went before us and had a vision and dreamed a dream and invested to make it possible. So when you walk down that faith hall, you're walking down a hall that's been here almost 50 years. That hall is here for a reason because somebody knew we needed to provide space for people to come. When you walk through these facilities and when you sit in these seats, you realize that somebody paved a way for us so that we could come and be a part of this church family. There were people here before uh, we came, and there will be people here after we're gone. And we will leave a legacy as they have left us a legacy. Nothing but pine trees on six acres. Now we own approximately 17 acres right here. And we have hundreds of thousands of square feet of buildings that we use every week. Back in the 80s, it was decided we needed to build a family life center. So we built it. People sacrificed. People gave up silver trays and jewelry and fur coats and cars. And they did everything that they could imagine to, to make that family life center become a reality. Would anybody have believed in the early 1980s when that Family Life Center was built, would anybody have believed what I'm about to tell you? Would anybody have anticipated what I'm going to share with you in the next minute? I don't think so. We were criticized in the paper for being a country club church. Well, let me just state emphatically, we're not. Amen. We have people here that are members of this church that are on welfare. Country clubs don't have people that are on welfare. We have people here that could buy country clubs. We have everybody in between. And that's the way the church is supposed to be. So we started a recreation ministry and a family life center. We retooled that. We brought on uh, Jay Flint to be our recreation outreach minister a few months ago. And we began to retool and paint and fix up in, uh, an area that had been kind of dormant for a while. We had not really done anything significant in outreach with that other than doing things for our children in the summer and after school. And so because of your Thanksgiving offering last year, we were able to buy new weights and we fixed up a new weight room. And since January 16th, we have 600 plus people who are now members of our Recreation Outreach Center who come and use it on a frequent basis. In fact, you've got a maximum limit that you can use some of the things because somebody else has to get in there to use it. But that's not the bigger picture. The bigger picture is that on Wednesday nights, 
just by us turning on lights and air conditioning. We've had 22 young men saved since January in that facility. Last Saturday, we had 12 parents' children saved in Upward during the devotion time. Thursday night in this facility right here, we had the Upward Awards ceremony, and we had 55 first-time professions of faith Thursday night because we have an Upward basketball program. Now, folks, let me, ha- let me help you understand that. That's 89 new people in the kingdom in a month because we bounced a ball. That's all we did. We bounced a ball. But we see we bounce it differently than anybody else does. We don't have spiritual basketballs, but we have spiritually minded coaches. And they teach those kids scripture. It's different from going and playing in any other league. They pray with them. They encourage them. You'll never find one of our coaches uh, throwing off a hat and screaming and yelling at a kid because they make a mistake. That's not acceptable and upward. That's not the philosophy of it. It's a different philosophy. And today, there are 89 people. By the way, 27 or 28 of those came from 13 different churches in this town. Do you realize that because of the ministry of Sherwood Baptist Church, there are 13 churches that will baptize somebody in the next few weeks because we provided a ministry. We did something to bless somebody else. Anybody that ever tells you that Sherwood Baptist Church is only concerned about themselves has never been here and doesn't know who we are. Because we did that to bless other churches. There were nine that were members of Sherwood. Their families were members of Sherwood. Seventeen of those have no church home. And we were able to share the gospel with them. And they came, met with counselors, and prayed to receive Christ and ask Christ into their heart. Now, you want to put a price tag on that? It's priceless. It's priceless. You see, we're going to do something that's going to multiply that. But I want you to think about it for a minute. And some of you that have, I've been in your Sunday school classes, bear with me for a few moments. You take eight soccer fields and you put 11 people on each team. You multiply that. That's 11. That's 22 on the field. You put mom and dad, grandma or grandpa, aunt or uncle, brother, sister, friend. Every hour there's a new game on every field, eight fields. 22 people on eight fields every hour. You multiply that from 8 o'clock in the morning until about 5 o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday, and here's what you get. You get more unchurched and lost families on those fields in one Saturday than we will have visit a Sunday morning worship service over the course of five years in one Saturday. That's priceless. That's an investment. That's not an expenditure. You know, some people won't understand. That's okay. You know, some people didn't understand Jesus. The religious people, by the way, never understood Jesus. All Jesus ever tried to do was love sinners. He came to love sinners. He ate with publicans and sinners, and the religious people couldn't stand him for it. 
you know what? If we're going to be in company, let's be in company with Jesus and not with religious people. You know, let's be found guilty of loving sinners and believing that Christ died for them and loves them and wants them to be saved. Let's be in that kind of company. Let's be accused of loving too much. By the way, we're in the squawk box today. Sherwood's got so much money, we wasted it on a billboard. Could I just say to the person that had the effort to write in the squawk box, that squawk box is not an indicator of what that billboard says. That billboard says blatantly, Sherwood loves Southwest Georgia. You know what that billboard says? We spent money to tell everybody that drives by it, we love them. That's not an expenditure. That's an investment. That's screaming out to people flying by in their cars. Somebody loves you. I will never apologize for telling this community they matter to us. And for every individual and every church that doesn't like it, they can get over themselves. Because that's the kind of church we're going to be. We're going to love people where they are. We're not going to ask them to clean up and become what we want them to be, and then we accept them. We're not going to check the color of their skin at the door. We're not going to check their wallet at the door. By the way, can I put, put aside an idea? There's a rumor out there that we ask you to bring your W-2 form with you when you come to the Sherwood story. That is not true. We ask you to bring three years of W-2s with you. <laughs> You know, I'm just thinking, there's still people doing LSD. There's some 60s people on drugs, man. I got a new one two weeks ago. I now have bodyguards who escort me into the service and, and escort me out. And I'd tell you who they are, but they'd have to shoot you. And I said, that's funny. I'm just standing out there at the welcome desk for 20 minutes after the service is over. I haven't been escorted out of anything. Now, we do have security here. That just makes sense. You got this many people, you're supposed to have it. You know, I'm carrying a gun. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I'm teasing with you, okay? <laughs> but I want you to understand something. That 40 acres is not grass and dirt. It's people. Thousands and thousands of people. You think what we've done with one gym with 285 people and upwards this year, with one gym, and we've had 89 people come to faith in Christ in a month. You multiply that by sports fields and chaplains on those fields and people loving on those children, role models, male role models for those kids who don't have a dad at home. You think about all those things and you begin to realize we can make a difference, not only in our church, but in this community. This is bigger than this church. It is about this community. It's about caring for the people of this community. It's about being a light in a dark place. Now, let me tell you why you need to come to the prayer event on this coming Saturday. Now, I am preaching, by the way, just in case you hadn't noticed it. I'm going to get there. But let me tell you why you need to come to the prayer event. We're going to take you on a ride. You notice there's a tractor out there and some hay bales, and we're going to take you on a little ride around the property, and we're going to show you where all the fields are. They'll be marked out with ropes, and you need to come. But we're going to put prayer cards out there, and there's going to be a place where you can stop and you can write your prayer for people. Now, I'm going to go backwards before I go forwards. 
There's a little area out here in front of our prayer tower where there are bricks of people. We told people that if you bought a brick, $75, put your name on the entrance to the prayer tower, and that little entrance going into our prayer tower is covered with bricks of people's names on it. Our names are on there. I bought one in memory of my parents. I bought one in memory of some other people. We bought one for Ron Dunn and other people. And when we got it done, after we got it done, we had people coming up saying, uh, can we buy a brick? We didn't know it was going to be that nice. No. There's an opportunity and there's a window and then there's a time when a door shuts. This is our opportunity to write prayer cards. We're not going to write these prayer cards for six months. We're going to write them next Saturday. And we're going to take those prayer cards and we're going to encase them in a stone altar. Just like Joshua chapter 4 says, when you've, after you've crossed the land and after you've taken possession, you go get those rocks out of the river and you build a monument and an altar there. And when your children come by and say, what do these stones mean? You tell them what happened, that God led us through the wilderness, that, that God led us across the river and it was on dry ground and God led us to a promised land. You let that be a memorial. So we're going to have a memorial out there of rocks. And inside those rocks are going to be the prayers of people. And we're going to have a plaque on that rock that says something like this. Inside this altar are the prayers of the members of Sherwood Baptist Church on February the 26th, 2005. Where we ask God to touch people's lives and to change people and for people to come to know Jesus Christ on these fields. I told Jim McBride, I'm trying to figure out how we're going to get a water fountain by it because everybody goes to a water fountain. So things see it. On the other side is going to be the Romans road to salvation in the sinner's prayer. So if I'm out there by myself 50 years from now with a kid, I won't be. But let's say I were. Let's say I'm Abraham. Uh, if I'm out there by myself and I've got my kid and nobody's around and he goes over to get water and I look at the back of that and I read, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then I read how I can pray and ask Jesus Christ to come into my heart. And somewhere on that ball field, 50 years from now, there will be a man and a son or a daughter that will stand there with nobody around, and the Holy Spirit of God will convict them. That's about you, and that prayer is for you, and they'll be saved. That park will be a witness 24-7. By the way, there's one more thing we're going to do. We're going to put up at least a 90-foot cross on that property, and we're going to light it. Amen. And it's going to stand out as a beacon to this community that this is not the YMCA. This is not Dixie Youth. This is a Sherwood Christian sports complex. We are unapologetically Christian in what we do on this complex. And it's going to stand there as a light so when anybody flies in, you think about new people flying into Albany, Georgia, coming to work at Procter & Gamble, coming to work at other businesses here in town. And they fly in and they fly over this 90-foot cross in the middle of a field. And the first thing they're going to ask is, what's that? And we're going to have a witness there. Somebody suggested we put it at the top of the cross, if you're so low that you could read this, you better pray and ask Jesus into your heart now. <laughs> because you're about to meet the ground. <laughs> but we're going to light that cross up so that when people driving down Operatory or Lily Pond or Leary Road, they will see that cross and know something is going on there. It'll be a witness for generations to come. For when people come behind us, they will say, somebody meant business here. They didn't just build ball fields. They meant business here. 
And so what I'm asking you to do over these next few weeks is pray very seriously about how you will invest in this vision. Because this cannot be done by a few. This has to be done by all of us. All of us taking part. All of us participating. So I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. That was all introduction. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, somewhere at the top of your notes, I want you to write down a few words and how many times they appear in the Scriptures. The word faith appears 246 times in the Bible. The word hope appears 185 times in the Bible. The word love, agape, appears 733 times in the Bible. References to money or giving appear 2,282 times in the Bible. And so what that says is giving is a spiritual issue. And investing in kingdom business is a spiritual issue. Because giving is an issue of faith. Giving is an issue of hope. And giving is an issue of love. What I have faith that God will do, what I hope that God will do, my hopes for the future, and the fact that I love people. Giving is a spiritual issue. Secondly, God doesn't need what we give Him. God doesn't need it. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. I mean, God doesn't need what we give Him. God's got, God paves His streets in gold. God doesn't need it. He's trying to teach us the value of what's really important. Because the Scripture says you can't love God and money. And what do men love? Men love money. We love the things that money can buy. Thirdly, giving reveals our true values. Giving reveals our true values. Now let's be real honest. We give to our children because we love them. You've never bought a gift for your child, a birthday present or a Christmas gift, and said, here's the receipt. Do you realize how much this cost me? If you did, you need counseling. Because a gift is given with no strings attached. A gift is given out of love. A gift is, is, says what we value. And we give gifts to others because we value them. What Terry and I give and what our family invests in is because of what we value and what we cherish. Finally, Jesus nor Paul had any problem talking about money. Why? Because religious people at the time had a problem with loving money too much. Much like our culture loves money too much today. And so if I'm blessed, if I understand the law of sowing and reaping, and if you back up to verse 5, he says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead of me and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. The word bountiful means a generous gift. It wasn't pressured. Nobody has come to you and nobody will come to you in this and say, We need to know exactly how much you're going to give. 
It wasn't pressured. It was a bountiful gift because it was a gift of grace. It was a response to grace. It was a response of love. It was a response of sacrifice. And it was a bountiful gift. And Paul says, I I didn't need to tell you what to give. I'm just reminding you that you said you were going to do it. You know, we have no trouble in our society. I started to bring uh, the closing statements from our house. I don't even, can't even count on both hands how many times I sign my name when I close on a house. I didn't have any problem doing that. Why? Because they're going to give me some keys. And I was going to be able to move in. And I was going to be able to take possession of that house. I didn't have any problem. And I also know when I sign that, if I don't make the payments, they come and take the house away from me. I have no problem doing that. But isn't it amazing we don't have a problem with a house? When we buy a car, if you don't pay cash for your car, when you buy a car, you have to sign a bunch of papers. This says that this is the odometer. This says that this, you're going to pay for it. This says that you're going to provide insurance. We sign all those papers. And then when the church comes and says, you know what, it's going to take money to run the church, Christians bow up. Now, why is it we love Ford Motor Credit and the bank more than we love Jesus? Because what you put your name to is what you value. What you put your name to is what you value. What you sign your life away for is what you value. And Paul says, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm just going to tell you, you need to do it. And God does not prosper us to feed our greed. Listen to Proverbs 2, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so that your uh, barns may be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Proverbs 11, 24. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. Folks, our harvest is in direct proportion to our bountiful giving. Our harvest is in direct proportion to our bountiful giving. Now, when the Jews gave and when they talk about sowing, sowing was involved in two ways in the temple. First of all, it was an expression of almsgiving, and they gave what was necessary. They gave what was necessary. What the law required, that was the tithe. But secondly, sowing was related to the free will offerings of the people. They gave not what was required, but they gave out of love. And so you have some that Paul says give grudgingly, others give willingly, some give out of grief and pain like you're trying to pull teeth, and others give out of the joy of doing it. God takes particular note of those who look at the words, have purposed in their heart. They've gotten before God to find out, God, what is it that you want us to do? Not what's everybody else going to do, because see, God's not going to tell you what anybody else needs to do. God's just going to tell you what you need to do. God, what have you purposed in our hearts? And the word purposed is used here only one time in the New Testament. It's the only time it's used. Here's what it means. When Paul writes purposed in their heart, he's using a word that has the idea of predetermination. Predetermination or planned or systematic. Predetermination or planned or systematic. Now, note this. The first offering that was sown was a sown offering of the tithe, what was required. And nothing is said about that. The second offering, the free will offering, 
is the one that is giving, given willingly, and something is said about that one in chapter 9 and verse 7. God loves a cheerful giver. Isaiah 32 said, when you give that free will offering, you will be blessed. Now, he didn't mean blessed like the prosperity gospel tells you, that if you give money, God's going to give you a house and a car and a land. It means that God's going to prosper your soul. God's going to prosper you spiritually. God's going to intervene in your life in ways that you never anticipated. And so God is trying to teach us that there's a promise here. Now listen, the Scripture says that God is love. But Paul narrows that down a little bit here and says not only is God is love, God loves a cheerful giver. Apparently, there is a special kind of love that God shows toward the cheerful giver that he reserves for the cheerful giver. You say, well, how do you know that? Because Paul put it in the Bible and it's inerrant and it's inspired by God and the Holy Spirit prompted him to say it. That's how I know it. God loves a cheerful giver. That means when I give something cheerfully and joyfully and I'm not worried about, did I get credit for that? Did somebody notice that? I'm not the Pharisee that's ringing the rim trying to make sure everybody knows what I'm doing. When I give cheerfully and joyfully that God puts a special love on me. Now, I don't know about you, but I want all the love of God I can get. I don't need any more lands or, or riches, but I tell you this, I, 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 I need more of the love of God. And I want to live in that blessing of having his unconditional love poured out on me. Cheerful giver, a hilarious giver. Have you ever noticed, no, you haven't, but have you ever noticed that some people that they think when the church is asking for money, they think we're the IRS? You know, never thinking about what it takes to operate a ministry. And I'm not talking about an extravagant ministry. I'm just talking about excellence in ministry. You know, it cost us tens of thousands of dollars to pay for the sponsors to go to youth camp. We've got to have people to go with our young people. Is it worth it? Yes. It costs us thousands of dollars to pay for sponsors on children's camp. Is it worth it? Yes. Would you like to go to a church where there was no children's ministry, no preschool ministry, no youth ministry? It was all just for everybody 65 and over, and they don't care about anybody that's younger? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't be here today if we didn't, if we didn't have the kind of ministries that we have. Why? Because we've invested in you. And as we pour in to the budget and to the ministries of this church, it's an investment in thousands and thousands of families. Secondly, when I invest in kingdom business, God opens up the windows of heaven, verses 8 through 11. Let's just begin uh, in verse 8, and then I want to jump down a little bit. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which is through us is producing thanksgiving to God. What he's saying is in the context of giving, there is seed being sown. Now, he doesn't say he'll supply more money. He says he'll supply more toward your righteousness. Now, if you look at this, five times he uses the word all. 
All grace abounding. Paul is just bubbling over. God is able. He has all power. He has all wisdom. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ever hope or ask. And Paul explodes with these alls, with all grace and always and all sufficiency and every good work. God will never owe us anything. God will never owe us anything. That word sufficiency means adequate resources within. God has given us everything we need for the Christian life to do everything that he calls us to do. Everything that God puts on us, everything, every demand that God makes on us is already given to us by God. In our talents, in our time, in our treasures, in our spiritual gifts, God has equipped this church to do everything he's called it to do. Everything that he has called us to do. Verses 9 through 11, he talks about seed and bread and referring to the word and to the harvest in the field. And folks, in verse 10, he says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower, King James says, ministers to the sower. It means one, listen, it means one who leads the chorus. He who supplies seeds to the sower. In other words, the one who leads the course, the one who supplies everything that everybody else needs so that nothing is lacking. What does the person leading the choir does? They supply the music, they supply the notes that is needed so there's nothing lacking in the presentation. That's what God does. He supplies anything and everything so that nothing is lacking in what he calls us to do. So God is represented in this passage as leading us in a great chorus of cause and effect, sowing and reaping. We sow, we reap. And when I do what the conductor has equipped me to do, I reap a harvest. I reap in my life and in the lives of other people. Number three, when I invest in kingdom business, God's glory is revealed. Verse 11. Let's start with verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only fulfilling, fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by the ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all while they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I want you to go back to that little phrase. It is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. I don't even know who they are. I don't know their names. But over the next years, there are going to be people that are going to walk up to me and they're going to walk up to you. And they're simply going to say, thank you. Amen. Thank you for doing what you did. Thank you for providing a ministry for my family. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for caring about lost people. Thank you for caring for my family. I don't know who they are. But they're going to thank us. But you know what? Even if they don't, it's still the right thing to do. Now, folks, listen. There's a youth league in Albany, Georgia. 
that I'm going to tell you, just to be real honest with you, the devil is playing his cards right now. And we know what his game is. And we're going to beat him. There's a youth league in Albany, Georgia right now that used to have a team called the Angels. They have changed the name from the Angels to the A's because they want no religious references in the Dixie Youth League. Now, when I was growing up, that was okay. But in the politically correct times in which we live with, I describe politically correct as stupid people. I'm sorry if that offends you, but if you're offended by the word angels, you got more problems than the word angels. You got a lot of problems. Even in California, they have a team called the Angels. And there are people worshiping rocks out there. I mean, come on. There's one coach who asked if he could pray with his team and invite the other team to come and pray with them before a game started. He was told initially he could. Several days later, he was told he couldn't. And not only told he couldn't, his team was taken away from him and given to another individual because they do not want prayer before any games. Now, folks, every day the phone of this church rings with people asking us, please tell us that you're starting more leagues because we're tired of what the community is giving us. Now, folks, when in a post-9-11 world, even lost people sing God Bless America. And what's it going to take to get the attention of some people that think you can take God out of the equation and have a moral society and have values and have ethics and have integrity? You can't do it. You can't do it. You cannot remove the black and whites of Scripture. You cannot remove God and have a society that does anything but goes dark. And that's why there's going to be a 90-foot lighted cross on that property. And that's why the lights are on on the sign out here, because we're going to say to the world, we're not caving into the darkness. And we're not going to turn our children over to the darkness, and you don't have to turn your children over to the darkness. We're going to say to this culture and to this community, we care about you. And we're not going to berate your children, we're going to love your children. We're not going to fuss at you, we're going to pray for you. We're going to encourage you. We're going to lift you up. We're going to show you that Jesus Christ makes a difference in people's lives. And when we do that, guess what? They'll probably come check us out. They may come check some other churches out. That's fine. Ours is to be a blessing. We're not trying to win people, folks, to Sherwood Baptist Church. We're trying to win people to Christ. They'll find the right church. They'll find the right church. And we will love on them and minister to them and encourage them. Andy, come up here. Forget the last three points, guys, on the, on the monitor. Come up here, Andy. Now, I know Andy is trained in evangelism. He knows how to go out and share his faith because he's done it. I know he knows how to do that. But let's say Andy doesn't. Let's say Andy's one of those guys that, you know, you say visitation, and I mean cold sweat breaks out on him. You know, he goes in the heaves, and I mean, he just, everything falls apart on Andy. And, and he goes, I, I couldn't do that. So don't ask me to do that. And, you know, you remember the old days when the pastor used to stand up and say, everybody's going to be at visitation on Monday night. And Andy would be one of those guys that said, you know, I always get sick on Monday nights. And we got families out there that will never let us knock on their doors, never let us come in to see them. And Andy will never go up and talk to him. 
Because that's just not, and I'm just using you, but that's not really you. You understand? I'm picking on you. I understand. Okay. But Andy's out there, and Andy's son is out there playing ball, and my son's out there playing ball. And so I'm just kind of sitting there, and I'm just kind of, you know, I got, and Andy says, uh, hey, man, uh, which one's your son? Uh, he's playing second base. Oh, he's a good ball player. Um, how long have how long you been playing out here? Well, this is our first year out here. This, you know, we just came. We used to be somewhere else, and we just heard about it. And you know, my son knows a couple of these kids on the team. So, you know. And so Andy then just says, you know, where you go to church? Well, we don't really go to church anywhere. So, man, you know what? I've got a great Sunday school class. I, I, I'm teaching a Sunday school class. We've got a lot of couples our age. And, you know, we, we, we don't bite. We don't ask you for anything. Just, why don't you just come and meet some great people? Because you see, you see the kid out there in left field, and you see the kid that's catching, and you see the kid over there in right field. It said, their parents are in our Sunday school class. You, you're going to know some people. So why don't you just come and visit our class? And the guy's going to sit there, and he's going to think in his head, well, let's see. I'm here on Monday afternoon for practice. I'm here on Thursday afternoon for practice. I'm here on Saturday. I've already met all these people from this church. Maybe I'll just go check that church out and see if they're the real deal. You know what? They see Jesus on the field, they'll see Jesus here. And guess what? Andy just witnessed by just simply saying, why don't you just come and check it out? Now, did he share the whole gospel? No. But we're just trying to build relationships. We'll have opportunities to share the gospel with them. But your ministry on that field will be sitting in those stands and just talking to folks, just loving on people, just helping people know that we care about them and we love them. And you think about it now, eight soccer fields, four baseball fields, game after game after game after game. How many ways we're going to have to tell people Sherwood Baptist Church loves you? And so whether Andy even knows the Roman road, whether he even knows the sinner's prayer or anything else, he's just a guy that just, I mean, he, he, he loves the church and he believes in what's the church doing, but he can take somebody and get them to somebody that can tell them that. And that's the goal. Thanks, Andy. Thank you for being here. So, what's going to happen? We're going to change our world. That's what's going to happen. Uh, you're going to have to fight to get a seat in here one day. Uh, these seats that are empty are going to be filled. The balcony that has a few people in it now will be filled. Why? Because we said to families that think nobody cares about them, we love you. And by the way, you can come to a church that doesn't have mean business meetings, mean deacons, people with bad attitudes. You can come to a place where you'll be loved on and where you'll be encouraged, where people are laughing, where they're friendly. I talked to a lady last night. Her dad's a pastor. He's 85 years old. He's visited some great churches, great churches around the country. And she said, you know, when my dad visited here the first time, he said, that's the friendliest church I've ever been in. Now, folks, that's a good reputation to have. Amen. Kill them with kindness. Love people that the world says, we don't care what happens to you. Because you know what? There are a lot of kids out there that need to know somebody loves them. There are a lot of young people out there that need to know somebody loves them. There's some singles that need to know somebody loves them. There's some moms and dads that are on the verge of breaking up that need to know that there's hope for their home. We're going to stand and we're going to make a difference.
One of the great missionaries of another time said, some folks want to live within the sound of church and chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop one mile from hell. Folks, we're in the rescue business. We're in the redemption business. We're in the salvation business. We're in the people business. Oh, yeah, we're going to use balls. We sure are. We're going to need a lot of you to help because this is run by volunteers. We're going to need a lot of you to help. But it's not about the balls. It's about the kids that are playing with them. And listen, I can see those kids. I'm begging you to come out this Saturday to the prayer event. I'm begging you to come because when you come, I just want to ask you to pray the Lord of the harvest that He will help you see the fields that are white under harvest because they're there. You say, oh, that's a long way out. Nobody's going to come. That's what they said when we bought the school. We have over 600 students. That's a long way out. Nobody's going to come. That's what they said when we built the first building on this property right here. Long way out. Folks, people come and they expend energy and time when they know somebody cares about them. And when they know somebody will love their children. They will come. They'll be a part of what we're doing. You say, how do you know that? Because I know that the Scripture says when Jesus said, if my name be lifted up, I will draw all men into myself. And we're going to lift up the name of Jesus without apology. We're not going to compromise. There's not going to be a a watered-down message out there and a solid message here. It's going to be both. Because we believe that people are lost and dying and going to hell. And because in one month, we've seen 89 new people come to Christ. You can't give enough money to buy a soul. But you can give enough to make an opportunity for a soul to come to Christ. You can't buy anybody into heaven, but you can help provide a place where they can hear about Jesus. And that's what we're going to do.